We'll turn to Acts chapter one. We are continuing uh, our series uh, we're calling The Big Picture. Uh, we have this week and next week is our last message next week in this series. And uh, then we're going to be jumping into the gospel of Luke. We'll be there for a while so you can get really used to Luke. And uh, so even start reading there would be something that would encourage you. Uh, we've gone through this series we're calling The Big Picture just to try to get uh, really the big picture of the Bible's message, the Bible's story. What is it that the Bible teaches us from beginning to end? It's, it's one grand narrative. And we've been walking through kind of the big pieces of that narrative, kind of helping us understand exactly from Genesis to Revelation what God's plan is. And uh, we started with the creation. Week after that, we looked at the fall. And then we went to Genesis 12 and considered the promise that God made to Abram and how that would impact really the ends of the earth. Uh, after that, we considered the Exodus when God brought his people out of Egypt to the promised land. Uh, after that, we considered how God continues to have a remnant, a people for himself, even though they were in the promised land throughout the Old Testament and uh, rebelled in a number of different ways, uh, idolatry and all kinds of things, were taken into exile, brought back to the land, that God still had a people. Uh, and then last week we considered, once we jumped into the New Testament, how God's fulfillment to his promise was ultimately centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How in Jesus, the arrival of his ministry, how he came, lived, died, was raised, ascended to heaven, and promised to come again. How all of the Bible is pointing to him and to that great work that he came to accomplish. And so we looked at that last week. This week, we're in Acts chapter 1. So think about that. Think about how Christ fulfills all of the promises that God made in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, how it's all pointing to him. And now he has come, he lived a life of righteousness, he died upon the cross to shed his blood for our sins, he was raised from the dead three days later. Now he's ascended to heaven and he's promised to come again. What do we do in the meantime? This is kind of where we are today. We, this is now where our story kind of fits into this this grand narrative. What does this mean for us today? We often talk about how we are living in the last days. There's a lot of, bit, a lot of discussion about what that actually means, but really, biblically, the, the last days are the, is the period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. So it's a lengthy period of time in which we are living in today, the last days, as we await the second coming of Jesus and the, the fullness of his kingdom when he will reign forever with his people. So what are we doing in the meantime? Well, that's a good question to ask. Let's turn now to the book of Acts chapter one and consider what it is the Lord has for us as we await his second coming. Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one. In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for teaching us through your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in it. Lord, as we now come to this, this new page of your redemptive work, as we think through what you continue to do even to this very day, Lord, would you help us understand our calling, our role, our purpose? Would you teach us, Lord, and would you convict us and would you transform us by your grace? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, questions can often be quite helpful. Think about the number of times you should have asked a question and you didn't. Happens a lot, doesn't it? Sometimes we, 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 we go through an experience and we're like, man, if I would have just asked, specifically you guys, right? If we just asked more questions, we would be helped a whole lot more quickly. Uh, I think back to being back in my school days when, you know, I was not the one that was prone to ask a lot of questions in class, but there was always that one that liked to hear themselves talk, I believe. And there was always that one that would often ask all kinds of questions and all kinds of questions and, and oftentimes annoy the rest of us. Like, would you just pay attention and you wouldn't have as many questions. But questions are often a good thing. And there were those times, even when the annoying question asker would ask certain questions, I would be like, man, I'm actually glad they asked this question this time because I had the same question. Questions are a good thing. They're a good thing because they help bring clarity to situations. Well, I think the disciples were not usually a group of people normally short on questions. And here in Acts, they ask a question that comes with an answer that was not only instructive for them, it's quite instructive for us. In fact, I think they, they kind of miss they missed the question when they asked the question. It's really not the best question they could have been asking, but it was an important one because the answer that came to it. We read in verses one through five, as I read just a moment ago here in Acts one, that the disciples, you see it also in the gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he's referring to his first book there in verse one. He's referring back to the gospel of Luke. Now he's writing yet again. And so he's talking about there in verses one through five how Jesus instructed his disciples after his resurrection to wait in Jerusalem. He's about to go away, going into heaven. He's going to ascend back to the Father. And as he goes away, they need to wait in Jerusalem for what the Father promised. And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they're instructed to wait. And so they you see that in verses one through five. And then verse six, look what the text says. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, here comes the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's an important question. They likely had something very different in mind when they asked that question because the answer Jesus gives them was probably not what they were anticipating. They were still living within that time period where Roman oppression was quite intense and quite evident all around them. And so as they're thinking about the restoration of the kingdom, they're likely, at least partially, thinking some kind of political deliverance, some kind of political uh, reality that would just make their life a bit easier. 
So they're longing for that day when the kingdom is restored. I think they're just a little confused on what the kingdom actually is still at this point. And so Jesus gives them an answer, and that answer could not be more instructive to them or to us. Notice what he says. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that, are, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he, he instructs them through a question that was maybe a little bit misguided or a little bit misdirected um, as far as what their expectations and their anticipation was. But even in the question, he speaks to them and says, listen, let me clarify what you are called to do at this point. You see, living in these last days, Jesus has given his disciples and us today a very clear mission and purpose. I think what we see in this text unfolds that for us quite helpfully and quite clearly. So here in Acts chapter one, and then we'll look a little bit into chapter two in just a, just a little while, we're going to see several characteristics or aspects about this mission, the purpose for which the church exists and the followers of Jesus exist, the purpose that we have. We're gonna see several things about this. We're gonna look at uh, the mission explained. He's gonna define what it is that we're about. We're gonna see the mission expanded, where this mission is to take place. And then we're gonna consider number three, the mission empowered, how we're going to go about it. Okay, so this is gonna be kind of a focus on what it is God's people are called to do as we wait for that day when he comes again. Let's look at this together. First of all, let's consider the mission explained. The mission explained. You see, Jesus, again, was wanting to make sure his disciples did not miss what they were called to do and called to be. In fact, Luke you go back to the Gospel of Luke, he records in his Gospel account, um, the focus was to be on advancing the Gospel. Go all the way back to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. We read the following. Jesus then said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So we've been talking a lot about that, haven't we? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Then he says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says to him, he says, listen, it is written that the Christ should suffer. The things that have happened had been prophesied. The Old Testament described exactly what had to happen, that the Christ should suffer, on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. And then he goes on to say, you are witnesses, you are eyewitnesses of these things. It's interesting that the disciples had a unique vantage point, didn't they? They were front row witnesses of all that had taken place concerning the life and ministry of Jesus, the death and resurrection now as well. 
And so they had seen what had unfolded before their very eyes and now they were called to wait till the Holy Spirit comes to empower them and then they were to go forward to ultimately all nations proclaiming what they had seen. So here in Acts chapter one, I think the mission is clarified in some ways. Um, Jesus is saying, listen, as you ask this question, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, don't focus on the times and the seasons that only, the, that only God has appointed. Don't get so caught up when the end is going to come. Boy, a lot of people could do well to hear that today. Don't get so caught up in these end time things. What you need to be caught up in is the calling that you have to be witnesses to the watching world, to the ends of the earth. That is the calling. That is the purpose for which you exist. Don't be preoccupied with dates. Be preoccupied with being a witness for the gospel. That is the calling, the mission that Jesus gives his followers. And you think about that. He's warning them. He's like, listen, you're focused on when things are going to end. There's coming a day when that will happen. There's coming a day when God will restore, when will renew and will ultimately fulfill all of his promises concerning the kingdom of God. But don't worry about when that's going to happen. What you need to be concerned about is the proclamation of the gospel through which that will happen. And so he's reminding us not to be distracted. There are many things that can distract God's people from being engaged with what's of primary importance, isn't there? And Jesus is simply reminding his followers here that their mission objective was to bear witness to him. It's a reminder to each of us who follow Jesus today that we too can easily be distracted from the main priority of being witnesses to the gospel. You think about that, there are many things, even biblically speaking, there are many things that we can be doing as Christ followers, many good things, many faithful things that we are called to do, called to be. But what we're reminded of here this morning is that we must never lose sight of the calling to bear witness to the truth of the gospel, which is our priority. It is the main thing that we're called to do and called to be. There's a lot of good things that we're called to engage in in this world as the church and as individual followers of Christ, many good things that we should be investing our time and energy into. But he's reminding us here that the main priority, the main thing is ultimately bearing witness to the gospel, not to be distracted, not to even be distracted by good things. We're called to be witnesses to the truth. You know, we live in that time when the Lord is still at work building his church. And whether or not we're talking about our individual lives or our corporate witness as a church, that our calling is to be focused on that mission, that Christ is building his church. I think we have to stop sometimes and just kind of do a heart check because it's so easy to get wrapped up in a lot of things in life. Even, like I said earlier, even good things that you should be concerned with. But listen, church, the, the, the calling of the church is not to advance some political agenda. It's not to call, it's not, it's not, we're not called to be engaged. Now, should Christians be involved in politics? Absolutely. Uh, I pray that more would be involved and more would be raised up. But the calling of the church, the calling of our, the, our mission to advance the kingdom is not a political mission. Our calling as Christians and as the church is not ultimately to be culture changers, should we be implanted in the culture? Should we be speaking into the culture? Absolutely. 
There's a lot of things that we should be doing as individual followers of Christ and as the church. But all we're saying here is that while we should be involved in the public square, while our voice should be speaking to matters, our ultimate calling is to be proclaiming the gospel, to be witnesses to Christ. We need to be aware that the missionary task is our first priority. Keep in mind that as the witnesses of Jesus, obviously the disciples were uh, firsthand eyewitnesses of the, of, of the work of Jesus. You know, the, the, their work has continued to spread and we are now actually beneficiaries of their faithfulness to being eyewitnesses to the gospel. And here we are today in a, a land that's far removed from where they were in their day, now believing the gospel, believing the work that, that Christ has accomplished for his people so that we too now can go forward and be witnesses for the work of the gospel. But we need to keep in mind that wherever the Lord has planted us, he's done so for many different reasons, but one of the primary reasons he has planted you where he has planted you is so that you can be a witness to Christ where you are. I think a lot of times we get caught up with, with things and, and we, we like to complain about where we are. I don't like this place or I don't like that place. Well, fr that's just, uh, frankly, uh, telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing at the end of the day. Because God has placed you where you are to be a witness to him and of him and of the work that he has done in Christ. Where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you do life, God has put you there on purpose to be a witness for the cause of the gospel. And you may say, okay, I, that, I understand that. That sounds good, but I'm really just not qualified. I don't really have the skill set to be an effective witness. Have you done much study on, on the 12 disciples? I mean, these guys were, when you think about uh, perfection, they're not in the dictionary, right? These guys had, had, had it rough. They had many, many flaws, uh, many def deficiencies. As far as skill sets go, the, these were not the guys you would have picked to say, oh yeah, they've really got it together. These are common, normal people. And you, can see, you continue to see that expand even beyond the 12 of, of all of the followers of Jesus there, even throughout the New Testament. I mean, these are, these are not people who were qualified or had skill sets. They were people who had been transformed by grace, and they were simply called to proclaim what they had known. Brothers and sisters, as the Lord places you in a community of believers, also we know as the church, we also have the privilege and joy of being corporate witnesses together, joining together to have a corporate witness. In fact, that's a big part of what we've been doing this morning. That's one of the reasons we gather here on the Lord's Day to come together to sing God's praise and to hear his word that we might give him glory and praise through our corporate worship, but it's also a corporate testimony of what God has done. You just look around this room and this is a testimony to the work of God in Jesus Christ uh, of, of what he's doing in the world. To witness to some degree of what Christ has done. And that's a big part of what we're called to do and engage in as the church. That yes, we are called to be witnesses wherever we go as, as individual people, but also as a collective whole, as the church. How we live and serve together as God's people in this fellowship is absolutely critical to fulfilling this calling we have as a witness. So we understand the, the, the mission 
as Jesus explains it here, is, is quite simple. You are to be my witnesses, ultimately to the ends of the earth. Let's consider the mission expanded. Where does this mission take place? Because the disciples at the time were still in Jerusalem. See, not only does Jesus give clarity on what his followers were called to do, he gives clarity on where they were called to do it. Notice he says there a very familiar passage to many who uh, are familiar with the book of Acts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus begins there in Jerusalem, and he just expands and expands and expands until the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts, it follows that trajectory uh, all the way through. It begins in Jerusalem, it goes to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, at least the ends of the known world at that time. And if you go all the way back to sermon number three of this series, we can really go back to sermon one, but sermon three in particular, all the way back to God's promise to Abram there in Genesis 12, verse three. Remember what God promised. He's calling Abram to go to a land that he would show him, and he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And that is reconfirmed yet again in the New Testament when the Great Commission is given to the disciples. And we see it here again in this version of the Great Commission, if you will, in verse 8 of Acts 1, that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So gospel ministry, global missions, is not simply a New Testament idea, although it's very clear in the New Testament, it's a biblical idea from beginning to end. What Jesus is ultimately saying is there no place was off limits for gospel witness. In fact, it was a mission that was to reach the end of the earth. And, you know, sometimes I think churches and Christians, they will, they will take this text and they'll say, okay, we've got to have a Jerusalem ministry, a Judean ministry, a Samaria ministry, and the ends of the earth ministry. And that's good. I just don't think that's what that text is instructing us. That's a good thing to do you can be involved in that many locations. What the point of this text is simply saying is that you're going to start here and the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. So everywhere is available for gospel witness and gospel ministry. That's the point that he's making. Uh, it's going to begin in Jerusalem, but it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And so the point simply being is that we shouldn't be limited to thinking only locally or only internationally. It's a both and ministry that we've been called to embrace. I want you to think about that for just a moment in those two realms, locally, your local witness. If you're living here in St. Mary's County, it's because God in his grace and in his wisdom and providence has brought you here. It's not an accident that you're here. You just think about that for a minute. Some of you grew up here, although the majority of you probably didn't, uh, just the nature of this community. Uh, but even those of you who grew up here, just think about the last five years of the number of people that you have come to know that you didn't know five years ago. It's a lot of people, unless you're a hermit. It's a lot of people, right? There are people that you can't even name right now because you've probably met so many new people, even in the church. For the last five years, where you say, oh, I haven't been here five years. Well, and however long you've been here, or you've been here forever or only a year or less, there's a number of people that God has brought into your path as a result of simply living here that you would have never known otherwise. 
and our calling is to be witnesses. Consider the unique opportunity that even many of us have right here in our own community to engage people literally from all over the country and in some aspects from all over the world. Our local witness in reality is a much bigger witness than just simply what's here before us. It, it expands way, uh, way beyond here. And I think about things that we should think through about being witnesses to the gospel. Think about this question. If you were to disappear from your workplace or your school or your neighborhood tomorrow, gone, you're gone, you're moving, you just disappear, however that happens, would anybody notice? Would anybody notice your absence from the office or your neighborhood or the people that you may engage regularly in shopping or whatever the the case may be? Would people notice that? Or could you just move in and move right out and no one would ever notice? Think about the reach of your own witness. Are you being a faithful steward of the time and the relationships that God has given you? Just think about the people you live near, that you work near, that you go to school with. You have an opportunity to engage, some of you, only for a short amount of time because of the transient nature of this community. None of this is an accident. Even the frustrating people in your life right now, it's not an accident. God has given them to you to sanctify you partly, but also that you might be a witness. It's a good question to ask as a church, isn't it? Redeeming Grace Baptist Church ceased to exist tomorrow, would our community notice that? Would our corporate witness missing from this community have some kind of impact? Would people even know, oh, I didn't even know there was a church called Redeeming Grace? Or do people realize that we exist? You see, our witness matters. Our witness individually or our witness collectively, are we making an impact for the gospel? I'm not saying are you being successful in winning all these people to Jesus. I'm asking, are you being faithful in stewarding your time and relationships well, pointing people to Jesus? It's his work to convert, not yours. Are you just stewarding that time faithfully? Brothers and sisters, we have opportunities, honestly, if we just think for a moment that are endless. And I know some of you even may have little kids and you just don't get, maybe you're just doing well to maintain the family ship. Just think about the number of opportunities you have with your kids or with their friends and their parents and practices down at the soccer field or at the baseball field or at the gymnastics center or wherever it is you go, regularly engaging other parents. I mean, endless. We could just continue on and on. Just think about the network of relationships that God has put before you. Are you leveraging those for good? Many opportunities that we have informally through a network of relationships or more formally. I mean, there's some great ministries in this community that you can plug right into that are doing fantastic gospel work. That's work that like Young Life's doing here in our community, amazing things that they're doing for the sake of the gospel. InterVarsity down at at the college that, again, doing amazing things for the gospel. Are you looking for opportunities, care now? I mean, just on and on we could go. These great gospel partners that we have right here working with us Are we leveraging those opportunities, plugging into these ministries so that we can continue to see the gospel go forward? The Good News Club that we have on Mondays, on and on we can go. Are we leveraging this this opportunity that God has given us faithfully for the sake of gospel advance? Is our witness 
effectively reaching the community? It's a question I think about regularly because I wonder. I wonder if it is. Think about that. I wonder if our witness is effectively reaching the community, individually, corporately. We're seeing people in our lives drawn to Christ. As a church, is our witness effectively reaching the community? Does our church reflect the community? I don't think it does. I think it could reflect the community a whole lot more in our diversity. And that's across the board, age diversity, socioeconomic diversity, racial diversity. I mean, on and on we could go. That, that as a witness, are we being faithful stewards of the opportunity that's right before our very eyes? Local witness. But there's also this idea of global witness. It begins in Jerusalem, goes to the ends of the earth. When the Lord told Abram that all the families of the earth would be blessed, when he commanded the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, he clearly had a global target in mind, didn't he? We think about the nations today. Think about the opportunity of global missions today. Many missiologists will highlight the importance of obviously going to the nations, but they will often prioritize what we refer to as unreached people groups. Now you can look at a number of different ministries and websites. Joshua Project is one. Peoplegroups.org is another one that's done through our International Mission Board. Joshua Project estimates that there are somewhere in the realm of 17,000 people groups identified in the world today. These are cultural, uh, language-distinct groups that exist in the world. Uh, I think peoplegroups.org uh, estimates 11 or 12,000. The number is not so much important, but, but even if they're coming up with different numbers, they have different criteria is why the numbers are different as to what defines an actual people group. But just there are many thousands of people groups in the world. That's the point. Joshua Project estimates 17,000 that covers the 7.6 billion people in the world. But they also estimate that of the 17,000 people groups in the world, that 7,151 are unreached people groups. Meaning that of that 7,000 that are unreached, less than 2% would be evangelical, Bible-believing Christians found in that people group. There are some 3,000 completely unengaged people groups in the world. No gospel access, zero. Just to help you get your mind around this, think about the population of North and South America. Total population of North and South America, I didn't count everybody, I did my best this week. Total population of North and South America combined is about one billion people. So you're gonna take everybody in North America, Canada, United States, Mexico, Central America, South America, and put everybody that lived in these nations together, one billion people. The number of unreached people living in India alone is 1.3 billion people. There are more lost people in India than there are total people in North and South America combined just to kind of give you a picture of the world scene and the world need of the gospel. There's a lot of people living in India, 1.3 billion. I'm just talking one country, friends, one country, 1.3 billion who have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the need is massive. 
whether you're looking locally across the street or you're looking globally across the ocean. The need for gospel work is great. The task is unfinished. The, the work that we have before us is huge. Now, you think about the global scene. I know that many of us are gonna remain right here, right here in the United States. We're gonna be called to serve out our lives here. Uh, and, and that's fine. You shouldn't feel guilty about that if that's what the Lord calls us to do. But you should feel guilty if the Lord's calling you to go somewhere else and you're not. You see, the Lord is still calling out men and women to go to the nations, to live in strategic parts of the world, cities and regions, where a witness for the gospel needs to be present because it's not present. There are places in the world where this witness to Jesus does not exist. And some of you need to be asking the question, do I need to go there? I just said that and some of you checked out. I'm asking all of you. You need, I'm telling all of you actually. You need to ask the question, should I go to the nations? You need to have a good reason to stay here where there's gospel ministry is saturated. There's a lot of work that we need to do here, friends, obviously. Think about the parts of the world where there's no gospel witness whatsoever. I, we talk a lot about putting down roots right here in our community, and we are, by God's grace, we're putting down roots here, still moving forward with that, still wanting to see great things happen right here in our own community. But some of you need to consider uprooting from this community and putting down roots in other strategic parts of the world where the gospel is desperately needed because it doesn't exist there. And let me be the first to tell you that it would be a joy and a privilege to come alongside of you to equip and resource you to be in a position to do just that. We have an expanded mission, and it's a mission that reaches to the ends of the earth. But how do we go about this? It leads me to point number three, mission empowered. It's one thing to talk about the what, be witnesses, and the where, everywhere, all over the world. But how do we do this? I mean, you think about the, the task. It's a massive task. And if we were called to do this in and of our own strength, in and of our own power, we would fail miserably. This would be a doomed mission if we were called to go and just do our best. Well, this is where the role of the Holy Spirit is so critical. The role of the Holy Spirit was something that would become front and center now in this redemptive plan of God. It wasn't as if the Holy Spirit was absent in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament for sure. The Holy Spirit would even come upon people in the Old Testament, particular times and places to, to, to cause things to happen. But now he takes on a very prominent role in the work of God's people. I want us to walk through several things real quick. First of all, I want us to think through the promise of the Spirit. If you go back to verse four here in Acts one, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, promise of the Father. What is this promise? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joel, the, book of the prophet Joel in Joel chapter two, verse 28, this is what we read. The Lord speaking through the prophet said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. 
You see, Joel was looking forward to the day when the new covenant blessings would be realized and how God would pour out his spirit, not just on a few select people, but on all people, all of his people. There was coming a day when the Holy Spirit would come and, and all of God's people would be empowered now and indwelt by this Holy Spirit. So we see that the God who dwelt among his people in Eden, And in the promised land, through the tabernacle and through the temple, the God who dwelt among his people would be now the God who dwelt in his people. Quite a distinction as we think about the glorious promises of the new covenant. And this was the promise that Jesus was pointing to. The day had arrived and was soon to arrive, at least at this time, the day was soon to arrive when this promise would be fulfilled, when all of God's people would receive the Holy Spirit. And then you get to Acts chapter two and we see number two, the sending of the spirit. And you get to Acts chapter two, let me just read for just a second here. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues and mighty, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. You see, Acts chapter two records this amazing event that happens when the very promise that God had made in the Old Testament comes to pass, comes to fruition, just like all of his other promises, right? Every promise God makes, he fulfills. And here it is again, God promised that he would pour out his spirit on all people, men and women, and they would receive the spirit. And this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. And it's interesting what takes place. We don't have time really to unpack all that's there in Acts chapter two. But I do want you to notice this. There were, we're told there were pious Jews from every nation gathered in Jerusalem. There were people from a variety of different nations. You see the nations listed there later on in the text. We're now in Jerusalem this, during this time of Pentecost. And it's interesting what takes place. When the Spirit came, the disciples begin speaking in various tongues or languages so that those who were gathered from the other nations actually heard and understood what they were saying. Some thought they had hit the wine bottle a little too much. That's not at all what had happened. It was the Holy Spirit that had come upon them. I want you to think about that. We didn't really cover this in our series, but if you go back to Genesis 11. In Genesis chapter 11, there's this scene, this this story that takes place where people gather together and they seek to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. The Tower of Babel. And what God does there is that he confuses the languages and he divides the people as a, as a form of judgment. So they're trying to make a name for themselves through the building of this tower to heaven. And what God does is he confuses their languages 
and he divides the people. But now, look what's happening in the New Testament. The people were now brought back together and able to understand even in their own language. Some would say that it's a reversal of Babel. What we find, though, is that the sign of the coming of the Spirit through the disciples speaking in various tongues and languages is a sure indication that the Spirit was indeed given for every nation. The gospel, the promise, was for every nation. And that is verified, that is, that is clearly the case right here as the Spirit comes and every nation that's gathered there in Jerusalem able to understand what was being said. So you see the sending of the Spirit, but I want us to, as we, as we close out our time here, I want us to think about the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. We could do a whole sermon series on the work of the Spirit. But we need to understand the prominent role of the Holy Spirit and how that would be such a critical piece in this new era of God's redemptive work. The Spirit would be active in these last days, the time between Jesus' first and second coming. Indeed, the rest of the book of Acts will tell the story of how the gospel goes outward from Jerusalem because of the Holy Spirit empowering the disciples to be faithful witnesses to Christ. But even 2,000 years later, we know the Holy Spirit is still active and he will continue to be active until Christ returns again. Many things that, that the Spirit does, but two I wanna point out to just generally speaking. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives new life. The Holy Spirit gives new life. In John chapter three, famous scene where Jesus and Nicodemus are having a conversation. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one could see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. In fact, he specifically goes on to say, we need to be born of the spirit. So the new birth, which is a spiritual regeneration, a, a new birth, this work that where God takes us from being dead to alive is a work of God's spirit. It is God's spirit that awakens the dead from their spiritual state so that they can see the truth and the beauty of the gospel. You remember the time when you were converted. Just think about the moment of your conversion, whenever that was. What was so different about that day than the day before? Maybe you had heard the gospel many, many times. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you hadn't heard the gospel many times. Well, why did the lights go on that day? Was it because you were a wiser and smarter person? No, not at all. It's because the Holy Spirit came upon you and gave you understanding and opened your blind eyes. It's the work of regeneration. It's the work of the gospel that's, that's taking place through the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. The new birth is the work of the Spirit. Later on in John 16, Jesus would say the Spirit would convict the world concerning sin. So even as we go forward now to proclaim the gospel, we go forward with confidence because we know it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work of conviction and awakening people to the truth. And your life in Christ is a testimony in part to the active role of the Spirit giving you new life. But second, not only does he give new life, he equips God's people. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. And we know from passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, that these are gifts of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that equips us and enables us through gifts to serve. We're told in 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Friends, it's just a reminder that as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, are we actively seeking his work? Are we actively seeking to be equipped by the Spirit? Are we, are we listening to the Holy Spirit at work in us and around us? Are you regularly depending upon the presence and provision of the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm not talking about some kind of mystical weird thing. I'm talking about an active pursuing of the Spirit who's in you. Spiritual disciplines through the hearing and reading of God's word, which is referred to as the sword of the spirit, certainly through prayer and other things of that nature where we think about seeking the, the role of the spirit in our life. He equips us. We don't go forward in, 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 in our own strength. As you continue reading throughout the second chapter of the book of Acts, Peter preaches a sermon. It looks a lot shorter than my sermons, but he preaches a good sermon. And he ends the sermon in verse 36. And then notice what he says to the people. Notice what we see in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There's so much packed in those few verses. But this assurance that Peter gives that you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, doesn't that really reflect the heart of God's promise to Abram when God told Abram that he would bless all the families of the earth? Brothers and sisters, we're living in the reality today of that very promise. And as we live out these last days, the kingdom of God is continuing to spread to the ends of the earth. And this is happening as God's people, empowered by God's spirit, join God in his mission as we bear witness, that's our responsibility, bear witness to the gospel. You don't have a responsibility to convert people, to convince people, to help people uh, close the deal, that's God's work. Your, your responsibility is to bear witness, to plant the seeds, to be the conduit through which the gospel goes forward and God will be at work. You know, I'm still convinced that the disciples were a bit misled in their question. But I'm sure glad they asked it. Is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And I'm glad Jesus answered. He said, you don't need to focus on that. That's the Lord's doing. What you need to focus on is the fact that God is building his kingdom and he has called you and he has called me to join him in that work. So what do we do in the meantime between Christ's first and second coming? We live in the year of the Lord's favor. We continue to preach the gospel. We continue to point people to Christ locally and globally. That's what we're called to do. And we do that empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of work to be done, brothers and sisters. 
so much work to be done. And it's exciting time to be alive and to be part of all that God's doing. I mean, it truly is. We can watch the news and get all discouraged about what's going on. But brothers and sisters, it's an exciting time to be part of what God is doing in his world, locally right here in our community, throughout our nation, and throughout the nations. Because God is building his church. You don't hear that on the news, but it's right here in his word. God is building his church. His kingdom is expanding. Christ is reigning and ruling, and he's coming again. And we get to be part of that. We get to be part of what he's doing now, and we get to be part of what he's going to establish for all of eternity. So let's stay after it. Let's stay after it, knowing that the Spirit is working in us and through us. And one day, one day, Jesus will not simply restore his kingdom. He will establish it in full, and we will reign with him forever. Let's long for that day, but in the meantime, let's be faithful witnesses to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you clarify our questions in the answers you give. We thank you for the clarity that you have given to us, your people, followers, your church, in the role that we have to be stewards of this good news. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would convict us of where maybe we have neglected the opportunities that are before us. Lord, maybe we have just, we've not been looking for those opportunities. Maybe we've just been looking to to survive the day, to get through another day, instead of seeing our lives through the perspective of being called witnesses to you and of you and all that you've done in Christ. Father, would you help us to steward this day and the days that you give us in the coming week, that you help us to steward them well, and that we would look around us at the relationships that you've put in our lives and that we would just simply look around us, whatever those look like, and that you give us boldness and confidence knowing that we are empowered by your spirit to point people to Jesus. Lord, that we would be faithful in planting seeds, that we would be faithful in sharing Christ, pointing to what he's done in our own life and sharing with others what he can do in theirs. Lord, would you help us to do that this week? Father, maybe that some are in this room right now and they, they hear your heart for the, for the nations and maybe, Lord, you're speaking to them even now about possibly uprooting their lives here and going to a strategic city or region of the world where there is no gospel witness. Over three billion people in this world need to hear Christ and they haven't. Father, it's my prayer that you would raise up men and women from this congregation and that you would send them to the ends of the earth. And Lord, for the rest of us, that we would be faithful witnesses to the end of our street and our workplaces and schools and neighborhoods and communities. Father, would you convict us where we have failed And would you empower us afresh and anew today to go forward as witnesses for the sake of the gospel, knowing that that's our calling because you're still building your church. You're still growing your kingdom. You're still bringing people in to the fold. God, you do that through the preaching of your gospel. So help us to be that conduit as you continue your great work of redemption to the ends of the earth, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.